0: Abolition. Abolition. Today. Tell me. Abolition.
1: Abolition. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman with Juan Gonzalez as we look now at a new... Abolition Amendment that was reintroduced after President Biden signed legislation this month to create a federal holiday commemorating June 19th as Juneteenth, the day in 1865 when enslaved people in Galveston, Texas, learned of their freedom more than two years after the Emancipation Proclamation. Some human rights advocates say Juneteenth didn't actually mark the end of slavery in the United States because of a clause in the 13th Amendment that bans the enslavement of people with the exception of involuntary servitude as punishment for being convicted of a crime. Now Oregon Senator Jeff Merkley and Georgia Congressmember Nakima Williams have reintroduced legislation to amend the 13th Amendment. For more, we're joined by Jorge Renault, the National Criminal Justice Director for Latino Justice. He was previously incarcerated for over 27 years in Texas, where he picked cotton, chopped trees and did road work. He's joining us from Austin. And joining us from Washington, D.C., is the sponsor of this amendment, uh, to the amendment, Congressmember Nakima Williams. It's great to have you with us for the first time as you replace John Lewis in Congress. We'll talk about voting in a bit, but let's start with this Um, can you talk about your what's called the abolition amendment
2: absolutely Amy thank you for having me Um, I think we need to look at exactly where we are in our country right now we're in a period of reckoning with our country's history just yesterday on the House floor we voted to remove statues of people who voluntarily served the Confederacy in this country we saw what happened on January 6th we came together as a country and voted in a very bipartisan, since people like to use that word so much, bipartisan fashion to make Juneteenth a federal holiday. But yet we still have our country's founding document, Our constitution has an exception for slavery. And our the history of this country is marked with racism and white supremacy and oppression. And it's up to us to do something about it. So eliminating the loophole and the 13th amendment that still allows for slavery if people have been convicted of a crime is one way to continue to move move forward with addressing the, the problems of our past and building for the future. I think I hear a lot of people say, but it's not really happening and there's no slavery like really happening in the country. Then what's the problem with removing it, Amy? What I know and what I've seen from history is some laws are put on the books and some things are in place just so that they can be used in certain instances for certain people. So I am working with my colleague in the Senate to make sure that we get this done. We've seen that there's some states that have already removed it from, from their state constitution. Very red states like Nebraska and Utah, they had constitutional amendments and took it to the voters and the voters in their state agreed to that this blue poll was unacceptable, and it's time that we do that on the federal level. Sound the trumpet
3: over a mountain
2: and sea. Proclaim glad
3: tidings of the Tell the truth, to the hungry down, dropped them forgotten youth We waited long enough, the cheaters up, it's eating up Our time ain't long, it's time to do more than just sing songs. I want love, sacrifice, dedication And relief for refugees without a nation It wasn't that long ago, when my great grand was choked by yoke And now a loss for hope, but with the help of the underground She made it safe and sound, went from lost to found Hear the sound I of the people like I I
4: a banner and swell a chorus, time to recognize all the ones who opened doors for us, like Martin and Harriet,
3: waiting for the chariot to carry us home, working for justice and war so we still got work to do, reparations overdue for catching hell from the prosperous few, some people say we'll get up in the afterlife, but I'm in love with this life, willing to cut through the stripes, singing like my life depends on it. Not for salary, but to be free. If you believe in me, like
5: I believe in you, for the whole and not the few. Now the trust for me, so we can all be free. Now to trust for me, so we can all be free. Now to trust for me, so we can all be free.
0: Abolition. 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 You just heard the
6: clip from Democracy Now! Features, featuring Congresswoman Nakima Williams, followed by the Liberty song by Kyrie Wendell McClellan. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Well, peace and blessings. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthis. Peace, Max.
7: Peace, Brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuppy Abolitionist Center on this 4th of July, 2021.
8: Well, last
6: week we were joined by our special guest, the intellectual rebel herself, Dr. Joy James, the Ebenezer Fitch Professor of the Humanities at Williams College. And before we get into tonight's topic, I want to make a special announcement on next week's guest to the program. We will have the honor of hosting the Queen Mother herself, the Queen Mother of Benin and current U.N. committee member, Dr. Duolto Desea Hunan Huna II. You don't want to miss this. That's next Sunday, God willing, July 11th at 7 p.m. So make sure you uh, mark your calendar for that. You don't want to miss that. And you also don't want to miss last week's episode with uh, the Intellectual Rebel. So check that out on all of your favorite podcasts or at abolitiontoday.org. Well, this week, what to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer. A day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham. Your boasted liberty, an unholy license. Your national greatness swelling vanity. Your sound of rejoicing are empty and heartless. Your your denunciation of tyrants' brass-fronted imprudence. Your shout of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings, with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him mere bombast, fraud, deception, impiety, and hypocrisy, a thin veil to cover up crimes which would disgrace a nation of savages. There is not a nation on earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of the United States at this very hour. These are the words of wisdom from Frederick Douglass in his famous speech, what to the American Slave is your 4th of July? So, there you have it. I'm laying the groundwork for what tonight's episode is going to be all about. And of course, we've got powerful, profile music, some spoken word, and bombshell audio clips to share. As always, we'll honor our forebears and bring the voices of the ancestors back to life without bridging the gap segment. So, before we jump into all of that, how was your week, Max?
7: Oh, man. Uh, You know, my weeks have been so hectic these past few months as we get more and more attention for the abolition amendment and the slavery abolition work. As you heard in the very opening clip, which was awesome, by the way, you know, I I feel a little bit rejuvenated now. Sound of trumpets, right? That's (laughs) right. Shout out to my man, uh, Carrie Wendell McClellan out of Canada. That's the only uh, music he does is freedom music. And uh, we'll probably play more of his music over the coming months here on Abolition Today. Uh, But also, the abolitionist amendment itself coming out, you know, has been very inspirational for us. And also, in addition to that, there was some conspiratorial stuff that went on. But before I get to that, I just want to give a couple shout-outs and as you said, what happened in my week. Um, Mm -hmm. About about a 10-day ago, I haven't had a chance to talk about it, but uh, I've been booked to go to Patterson, New Jersey, and feature at the annual uh, Poetry uh, festival that they have there. That happens in October. And they're doing a live panel, or, or yeah, a live panel mixed with recorded uh, discussions, film, The End of Slavery, The Fight for Amendment C, which is the documentary that came out about uh, how we ended slavery in Utah. So they're going right. to watch that during the film festival and discuss some of it. But they had me, Dennis, and the producer, Loki, come on and discuss it and record it in advance. So I did that with Sister Talena out there. Shout out to her. And if you're looking to meet me back home in my hometown, I'll be there That's first right. week of October. Word. Max and then am uh, coming I'm, home. <laughs> I'm coming home, man. I'm coming home to do some poetry. Me and Travel both. Um, and then uh, I didn't get to speak about it last week, but just before last week's show, we went to Colorado, um, Travel and I and met up with the rest of the Abolish Slavery National Network team, who we've been working with now for over a year and never physically met. You know what I mean? Like, we got so much stuff done and never physically right. met until about a week ago. And we had a huge uh, planning and strategy uh, meetings for the for two days straight. It was pretty awesome. And uh, we are ready to kick ass and take names. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was Let's pretty it. awesome to to Just meet the it. fam out there and to make the strategies. Uh, speaking of kicking ass and taking names, another shout-out is to um, Democracy Now! Because Democracy Now! is one of the first close-to-mainstream media news outlets that's, that have really grasped on what we're doing and is telling this people the story. Not only what you heard in the beginning, but also they did an entire uh, thing in the Washington Post um, that said, Days after the official nationwide abolition of slavery in December 1865, Alabama made it illegal for black farm employees to sell a long list of foods, including corn, rice, cotton, and animal of any kind. Another law punished black people for gathering in a disorderly way. One professor said in a Cornell Law Review article, another for carrying a pistol. And whipping and branding were scrapped as penalties while while a new sentence was added hard labor for the county, which we heard in Louisiana where they were begging for that. It goes on to say, desperate to keep profiting from black bondage, Alabama leaders were exploiting an exception to the 13th Amendment, which allows slavery in the United States except as a punishment for crime. That caveat stands today, allowing forced labor in prisons that disproportionately hold people of color, even as Americans celebrate emancipation with Juneteenth, newly elevated to a federal holiday. So that was news to me about Alabama doing it within days, setting up these laws, because they had mm-hmm. an exception before the 13th Amendment. Alabama's one of the um, iterations of the 13th Amendment. They got theirs in 1861, I believe. Uh, so so uh, Lincoln knew about the Alabama Exception Clause. So I guess when they made it federal, Alabama was like, you know what, we ain't playing with these Negroes. We're going to lock them up using the same exception that we had over mm-hmm. in Alabama. Um, so I'm glad they brought that up and when they said newly elevated to a federal holiday that was the thing that bugged the hell out of me last week on Juneteenth we had been planning to uh, announce this what would be the 28th amendment the abolition bill which would repeal and replace the 13th amendment's exception clause we had been announcing that for at least five five months or so right? we right. even had a pre- previous uh, uh, push with it in December of 2020, December 9th, I believe. So anyway, everybody and their brothers have been talking about slavery abolition within their senates and Congress because you've had bills all over the country, as you heard last week, right? All during this right. week. And then suddenly on Juneteenth, here comes Biden talking about he's going to sign Juneteenth in the law as a holiday. Well, why would you do that? Because Juneteenth celebrates what? The end of slavery. And we just on that very same day introduced a bill that said we're trying to actually end slavery for the first time because it hadn't been ended, neither in law nor in practice. And he knew all about that. His office knew about it because I know because our team has been in contact with uh, Kamala Harris uh, regarding this. And and the Senate has been talking about it. So I thought that was low down dirty. And to think, why would a Democrat, a Democratic president try to? to um, counter our argument on the very same day we announced it. Why would he do that? Uh, Yeah, it's it's wicked when you start thinking about who he is and why he would do that.
6: You said a mouthful there, Max, and you and I have outlined Biden's history a lot on this program, but we also know that it's not just Biden that, it's regardless, Democrat or Republican, you know, it's it's funny how Republicans get the blame for a lot of things and Democrats get away with a lot of things because most people don't realize that they're coming from the same source. You know, we outlined that in our episode when we did blame the presidents, we showed how historically from George Washington all the way up until Joe Biden, who at the time it was Donald Trump we showed the history of how each president carried on the legacy of slavery. So they all tie in. So it's no surprise seeing this uh, superficial act being done as we've seen superficial acts done in the past. But we know what we're going to do here at Abolition today. We're going to call the people out on it. So I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that up, and, you know... I'm looking at, you know, when we start talking about gaslighting, GOP gaslighting, and we have this great clip here with the co-founder of uh, Critical Race Theory, because we know that this is a big issue right now within the school system and, you know, all across the airwaves, they're talking about uh, critical race theory. So we have this clip of the co-founder of Critical Race Theory breaking down GOP gaslighting. And that's gonna be followed by Kimberly Crenshaw's track, Oh, I'm a Good Old Rebel. Uh no, so
7: let's that's like we jump Crenshaw. into that, Max. That's that's uh, Hoyt Axton does the Oh I'm a Good Old Rebel. Kimberly Crenshaw Oh Kimberly, is, Kimberly is the Crenshaw, one <laughs> She she is the co founder of CRT. So this is straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And then Oh, I'm a good old rebel is actually the um confederate anthem and you want to listen close to the words on <laughs> you. uh you, you kind of jumped ahead oh, wow. here a little bit bro. if you don't mind before we give them that i want to read one thing real quick you know because today sure. is sure. the fourth of july you know and i, okay. I want to point out something two things that i found in 1776 sure. what in 1776 white colonialist america gained its independence from the british Black Americans Mm -hmm. were still enslaved. They would stay that way for another 89 years before the transition from chattel slavery to the full implementation of prison slavery took root. Only a year later, in 1777, Mm -hmm. Vermont introduced the first constitutional amendment that created an exception to freedom from slavery, establishing constitutional reasoning that would allow slavery for legal loopholes within the criminal justice system, stating that slavery is abolished unless bound by the person's own consent after arriving to such age or bound by law for the payment of debts, damages, fines, costs, or the like. You see, America has had two founding dates, 1776 from Britain and 1865 when the first of three reconstruction amendments came into being on both occasions Mm -hmm. they were quick to make it clear in the supreme laws of the land that freedom for descendants of enslaved africans was never going to be complete it would always be conditional that slavery is abolished except as a punishment for crime so you can act on that right now we've set up a way where everybody can get involved. So if you're listening to the sound of my voice, what you need to do is go to nexception.com. You can do that right now while you're listening to the program. Go to ntheexception.com and fill out the information there. It would immediately send a letter of support for the abolitionist bill uh, to your senator, uh, federal senator, to your congressperson, as well as your state representatives, all in one click. And you can do that today to help support us. All right, thank you for that moment there, uh, Brother Eustace. I just want to share that information about how they've always known what they're doing here. So let's go ahead and get into the co-founder of CRT, breaking down the GOP gaslighting. That's Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw. And then we're gonna hear the Rebel Anthem by Hoyt Axton. You're listening to Abolition Today, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back.
0: Abolition, Abolition Today.
7: You know, uh, I used to wonder a lot about
4: how um, during the end of Reconstruction uh, people of color and people of goodwill understood what was happening did they know that african americans were going to be completely disenfranchised and and not be able to vote for seven decades were they aware that violence was going to take hold in capitals throughout the south that there were going to be coups Um, uh, did the media uh, participate in it were they uh, believing some of the lies or failing to ask the questions failing to consider the source and this moment makes me get a sense of what Um, What it must have been like lies being told people believing and people of goodwill being confused and not knowing what to do or what to make of it see what they need is for for those who are for democracy to just be confused about it and then they win. So the point that we have to be about right now is saying, A, what critical race theory is, but more importantly, this is about all of racial justice. If you marched last year after George Floyd, if you have had a diversity training and suddenly you understand how you can do better in your workforce, then you are on our side on this. And you should not allow yourself to be taken to some hysterical uh, set of beliefs about this big bad thing that you've never heard of until the last month well it's not a dog whistle anymore it's a bullhorn they have shaken the facade uh, of a dog whistle but let's understand why it works it works because scapegoating has always worked to help people cover up their misdeeds and their crimes let's not forget this is the party that has put democracy on life support and now while they have a pillow over its head they're saying look critical race theory over there this has been a tactic it was used by Charles stewart in boston who killed his own family and pointed to a black man susan smith who pointed to a black man who killed her own daughter these are people who are killing democracy and they know that they can distract people from that fact by pointing at black people, pointing at racial justice, pointing at ideas that they're uncomfortable with. We need to learn a lesson from that past and not let them them get away with it again. It's up to us. We determine whether this is going to be effective or not.
9: Oh, I am a good old rebel, now that's just what I am. And for this Yankee nation, I do not give a damn. I'm glad I fought again, I only wish we'd won I ain't asked any pardon for anything I've done I hates the Yankee Nation and everything they do I hates the Declaration of Independence, too I hates the glorious Union, just dripping with our blood I hates the striped banner that fitted all I could I rode with Robert E. Lee for three years thereabout. Got wounded in four places and I started point lookout. I caught the rheumatism, a campin' in the snow, but I killed a chance of Yankees and I'd like to kill some more. Three hundred thousand Yankees is stiff in southern dust. We got three hundred thousand before they conquered us. They died of southern fever and southern steel shot. I wish they were three million instead of what we got. I can't take up my muskets and fight them down no more But I ain't gonna love them, now that is certain sure And I don't want no pardon for what I was and am I won't be reconstructed and I do not give a damn Oh, I'm a good old rebel, now that's just what I am For this Yankee nation, I do not give a damn I'm glad I fought again, her. I only wish we'd won I ain't asked any pardon for anything I've done. I ain't asked any pardon for anything I've done. Abolition.
0: day. Abolition. day. Well, you just
6: heard uh, a clip of Kimberly Crenshaw, the co-founder of Critical Race Theory, breaking down GOP gaslighting. And that was followed by the Confederate anthem, I'm oh I'm a good old rebel by Hoyt Axton. You're back on with Max Parthis and Yusuf Hassan on Abolition today. <laughs> Max, Yo. you outdid yourself on that
7: one, man. <laughs> and with the music all the way through, I was I was having a ball with that production. Let me tell you, man. Um, you know she was breaking down the psychology of what's happening right here, right now, right? It's not CRT right. that they, they're worried about. They don't give a damn. They don't even know what CRT is. You can ask any of them, and I've seen it dozens right. of times now. They get on national mm-hmm. television, and they have no idea what CRT actually is. You have entire freaking armies of parents coming out to schools that have never taught CRT. It's talking about They don't want to be taught no more. Uh, basically, it boils down to a threat to their identity, about their racism itself, because CRT basically uh, is a legal thing, you know, uh, where you look at laws, uh, the Constitution and such, through the lenses of racism, right? And the 1619 Project is a support of that, because not only was it racism, but the racism led to slavery, right? (laughs) So you have to look at it through these lenses, and they don't want to do that because it points fingers directly at what they're doing right now, not yesterday, right now. Because the history we have seen over and over again is repeating. Just like the song you just heard. What did this dude say in the song? I don't care about your Independence Day. Screw you, the Yankees. I don't care about your flag. We killed or your Declaration 000. of Independence. Or, right, All your Declaration of Independence. We killed 300,000. We wish it was 3 million. And I want to kill some more. Uh, they said they won't be reconstructed. And they do not apologize for anything they've ever done. That's the mentality we're dealing with right now. And to make it a mistake right. and think it's not is a fatal mistake. You think you're dealing with logical, caring, considerate uh, people who can be reasoned with. And these fools can't be reasoned with. Why do you think we ended up in a freaking war? Because you know there wasn't enough therapists in the world to go over there and say, you know, let me break down this racism thing to you. Let's talk about it. That would not have helped. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm getting my energy back
6: now, you. That's great, man, that's great, (laughs) because I just have to laugh them. And also, in doing some research, I found out that that song there, uh, Oh, I'm a Good Old Rebel, was uh, based, or it was, yeah, sort of based on a minstrel song called uh, Old Old Joe Bowers. Right. You know, uh we'll probably debut that song on abolition today somewhere in the future. We'll tie it into something, you know, because we hear people like Hoyt Axton every time we turn on the TV, there's a Hoyt Axton there over the airwaves, you know, whether they have a talk show and uh, like Rush Limbaugh, or we hear uh, someone like, uh, what's the guy from Fox, Tucker Carlson. So we hear these type of mentalities all the time. The Speaking only difference is they're doing it un- yeah, they're doing it under the guise of being American, but their concept of what it means to be an American and everyone else's is something completely different. Their America is completely different, and we even played that song from uh, "Living Color" last year sometime, where you know, in the song they're talking about, "Show me the way to your America," you know, because the America that we see is something completely different.
7: Speaking of those fools over there at Fox News, you know, Facebook now is giving people warnings that either you are an extremist or you've been exposed to an extremist. And they want you to report people who you think are extremists. Um, You know, Fox Fox News still has a Facebook page. Uh, So Mm -hmm. does all these other right-wing outlets that are really spinning these uh, crazy ass theories and and doing what you hear left and what you just heard right now uh, and yet they right. want the individual citizen to rat out their mothers and brothers and sisters and their children you know my children have extremist uh ideologies they think they should have ice cream every day i'm reporting them <laughs> you know <laughs> <What> the <hell? laughs> so it just seems weird and i feel like it's nazi germany You know what I mean? Or back in the 1850s during the fugitive slave laws where you have to rat out the people who are extremists thinking that, you know, they're sick with dratomania and they want to escape because they're sick, (laughs) you know? Right. I want to share some news or rather some some more research that I did. Uh, You know, I, I, I want people to walk away tonight with things in their head that they never knew and now they do. So they can never again say that they did not know. Uh, I was did an interview a couple of weeks ago with this organization, and I explained to them how modern slavery works past to present, right? And at one point, I got to Lincoln and talked We got about whether Lincoln was a racist or not. <laughs> so, you know, I've done quite a bit of research on Lincoln and through a different set of eyes. So let me give you some information on him. Did you know that D.C. has an exception for slavery as punishment also? And it's not even a state. All supported by Lincoln himself. He knew exactly what he was doing with the Thirteenth Amendment exception clause. There were at least eight iterations of that cunning loophole, which had been tried and tested for a successful transition from chattel slavery to state-controlled prison slavery. Four state constitutions: Alabama, Vermont, Oregon, and uh, Alabama, Vermont, Oregon, and Ohio, and. The 1787 Northwest Ordinance all had a version. Lincoln was directly involved with at least three of the later adaptations. That included the Corwin Amendment on March 2nd, 1861, which was supported by Lincoln. He even wrote letters to governors asking them to support it. And the Corwin Amendment would have enshrined slavery in the Constitution forever. He was also involved in the DC Punishment Exception in 1862. Uh, And then third, he was involved with the 13th Amendment slavery exception in 1865. And here's D.C.'s technology. From 1777, it was the seventh time by date that such a clause was used or proposed. 1862, an act for the release of certain persons held to service or labor in the District of Columbia, also known as the District of Columbia Compensated Emancipation Act, because with Mm -hmm. Lincoln's signature, it paid slavers to release the enslaved, then turned around and criminalized them back into prison slavery immediately. It said, be it enacted by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled, that all persons held to service or labor within the District of Columbia by reason of African descent are hereby discharged and freed of of and from all claim to such service or labor and... From and after the passage of this act, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude. now That all sounded wonderful up until that point, except for crime, where the party shall have been duly convicted, shall hereafter exist in said district. That's in D.C. right now. As an added bonus piece of information, we studying the history of this exception across 25 states, one district and two territories, and within the federal constitution, I found that only three conditionals are used like magic words to turn a document professing freedom into a pro-slavery legal net. That is unless except and otherwise crime where the party shall have been duly convicted. Let me remind you, you can go to endtheexception.com right now and you can make a difference. You
6: You covered a lot right there, Max, and I'm sure that's, new information for many people that haven't been listening to abolition today and maybe we have some new listeners and just a reminder that we started this on march 15th of 2020 so you can always go back and check all of the information that we provided over the past uh what is that about 16 months now 17 months yeah yeah it's a long time we've been on the air max you know and When we look at uh, D.C., D.C. is the capital. It's supposed to be the symbol of democracy. It's the seat of the United States government. And right within the middle of that seat, we see what was embedded. And as you mentioned in what you just uh, stated, it clearly defines what Lincoln's intent was, just like when we always cover the letter that he wrote to Adelaide Stevens. You know, where he clearly lays out that he's not really trying to end slavery. He's trying to keep the union together, you know, and he doesn't want he didn't want the South expanding. He just wanted everything to be restricted. And we see as clearly defined and codified in law that that restriction was the exception clause will restrict slavery to someone, quote unquote, duly convicted. And then we know what the history was from there. And who this uh, duly convicted was mainly
7: imposed upon? Well, don't um, get into this red herring that they got going on right now called CRT. <laughs> but as you mm-hmm. heard already, um, it's just it, it's just a way to rally their troops. Now, uh, I've been hearing mm-hmm. talk about how they're using this to prepare for 2024 so that that they can win. At the same time, they're doing the same things they did in the 1800s with the gag rules on the abolition amendments, not even scheduling them for hearings or allowing them to be spoken of. Uh, They are uh, making baseless claims and switching now to a lot of fallacies where black people are the people who are suddenly the racist, right? (laughs) How often do you hear that? You're more racist than we ever were.
1: Like, all how can you just say all that the time. out of your
7: mouth after all of these centuries, right? But this is what they're doing, and it's it's, it's very much a red herring. So let's go ahead and, and play that u x that you created uh, with Trevor Noah. What do you think? Let's do it. All right, you want to introduce it?
6: Sure. This is uh, Trevor Noah, I mean, he know, he's uh, the host. Of I forgot the name of his show, and it's a shame because we the use so show. much on the show. The Daily the Show, Daily. exactly. And it's entitled The War Over Test, or Teaching America's Racist History. And we have the undertone, or it's accompanied by Pink Floyd's Brick Against the War, the classic track there. So we'll let Lo, uh, Trevor do the talking because he breaks it down
7: wonderfully. All right? You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. But the point
5: about history being written by the winners is true. I mean, just, just look at the American Revolution. America won that war. So history teaches it as a fight for freedom against the tyranny of England. But best believe, if England had won the war, history would be about how they put down a riot by a bunch of cheating thugs. These domestic terrorists threw our tea into Boston Harbor while dressed as Native Americans, which aside from being criminal, is very problematic. And if history is taught by the winners, nobody in America is winning more than white people, which is why so much of what's in schools has been from their point of view.
6: African American
0: history is not taught adequately. What we learn essentially is a whitewashed history.
2: Studies have found less than 10% of class time is devoted to black history. Only 8% of seniors can identify slavery as a central cause of the Civil War. There is no national standard for what history is taught. Each state sets standards which outlines
4: what students are expected to learn. Seven states do not directly mention slavery. And eight do not mention the Civil Rights Movement. Only two states mention white supremacy.
6: The kids learn that slavery was bad, but we ended it. Some stuff happened, but Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks kind of fixed that. And now look, Barack Obama,
0: we had a black president. Racism is over. We're done.
5: Yeah. It's pretty crazy that most students in America are only taught about a handful of important black Americans. Because can you imagine if it were the other way around? Welcome, everybody, to White History 101. We start off with Thomas Jefferson, where it all began. And then, well, nothing really happened until Tom Hanks... But yeah, basically, America treats history the way most people treat their browser history. Just delete all the embarrassing stuff and hope no one notices. But the good news is that as society changes, they re-examine their pasts and ask themselves, should we keep telling ourselves what we wish happened? Or should we understand what actually happened? And that's what's happening in American schools right now.
4: Students are asking their school administrators to incorporate anti-racist education into their curriculum. They aim to have books written by a person of color and their life struggles a required part of the curriculum. In North Carolina, a committee
2: of social studies educators proposed that the term systemic racism should be included in the state's curriculum standards.
1: California State Board of Education has created the nation's first statewide model
2: for ethnic studies curriculum at the high school level.
1: Education officials say that kids do need to learn about discrimination and oppression that textbooks often overlook.
2: A lot of times in school you
10: don't see a big representation of black history. I see comments all the time saying, I learn more on TikTok than I do from my own school.
5: Yeah, that's how much education is lacking in America. Kids are going to TikTok to learn, which is insane. Social media isn't supposed to be a school. It's supposed to be where you post stuff that gets you suspended from school. And I'm not saying you can't learn about history on TikTok, please don't get me wrong. I'm just saying you gotta be careful not to mix up history with everything else happening on TikTok. Re-examining your history is not easy to do, especially if it requires some self-criticism. You know, in many ways, writing history is like a breakup. Each person wants to tell the story about how they were the one who was right and the other person was an asshole. You know, it feels better to say, she wasn't nice to my family, as opposed to, she found out about my secret second wife. And in the same way as American schools are starting to change what they teach about America's history with racism, it's causing a strong reaction from people who aren't comfortable with what their kids are learning. There's growing backlash tonight against what critics call the indoctrination of public school students in an anti-white curriculum. It has to do with the teaching of what is called critical race theory.
1: Critical race theory teaches people and our children to judge one another not based on the content of their character, but solely on the color of their skin. It would have our children growing up hating this country and hating one another.
11: It teaches more or less that America is inherently racist, stating more or less that that if you're born white, you aren't necessarily racist. Essentially, every white person should apologize for being white and what happened 200 plus years ago. We are tired of the continual drumbeat of our educational system as used to program our kids to program our kids into thinking that America is a country of hate and division.
2: Just because I do not want critical race theory taught to my children in school does not mean that I'm a racist, damn it!
5: Bravo. Tearing up is like a white woman's go-to move for getting out of any sticky situation. Well, if it got me out of a speeding ticket, let's see if it works on a historical reckoning. And- mm. Look, I get why these parents are upset. I mean, they don't want their children learning that white people are inherently racist. But that's not necessarily what teaching about racism does. For example, a big reason why American neighborhoods are segregated today is because historically, the government made it almost impossible for black people who tried to move into white neighborhoods. It was called redlining, and it was a societal structure that still has racist effects even if no white people in those neighborhoods now are personally bigots. The point is that you can look at your history critically without believing that you are personally to blame for it. But you see, what's happening right now is that in America, some people don't understand that, and their hysteria is spilling into actual law
10: several states including Florida, Idaho and Iowa have worked to ban the 1619 Project in Critical Race
2: Theory from their core education plan. Arkansas became the latest state where state agencies are barred from teaching any concept that the United States is an inherently racist nation. In Louisiana, a Republican lawmaker is now under fire for comments he made on the House floor when proposing the theory's elimination from academic curriculum.
11: If you're having a discussion on whatever the case may be, on slavery, then you can talk about everything dealing with slavery, the good, the bad, the ugly, the whole... And there's
3: no good to slavery, though.
11: Well,
12: then whatever, whatever the case may be, you're right, you're right. No. I,
5: I didn't mean to imply that. <laughs> wow, guys, wow. It's almost like this guy wasn't properly taught about America's history with racism. huh? Although, I am glad that he recognized how wrong he was but part of me does wish that he had just kept on digging in. Oh really? You think that no good came from slavery? What, I'm the only one who likes the blues? None of you like the blues? Who's the real racist now, hmm? Still me? I guess it is still me. And you know what's really weird about this whole thing? Is how the same people who freak out about cancel culture now wanna use the power of the government to stop bad ideas from getting into schools. Now look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that systemic racism is behind all of America's problems. In my opinion, I think a lot more laws are written to protect the upper class from the lower classes. I mean, that's why a lot of laws that screw over black people also screw over poor white people. Like, a lot of counties in America pull poor people over and ticket them for random things like tail lights or whatever they want to, just to meet their quotas. But what they won't do is do that kind of thing on Wall Street. They don't pull people over who have access to lawyers or access to power. No one's frisking down the guys from Wall Street to check if they have cocaine. They wanna go after poor people. And it just so happens that the easiest way to find poor people in America is to look at the color of their skin. Because if they're black, the chances are higher that they're poor. Or look at how it's illegal to jump turnstiles in New York. I mean, that's targeted towards poor people, but it affects black people more because white men can't jump. But look, that's just me. The bigger issue that is being brought up with this controversy is, what is the point of teaching history? Like, what is the actual point? Is it to make kids feel good that they live in a perfect country with no problems? Or is it to give them an unsparing assessment of how society got where it is so that they have the tools to change it in a better direction? And I say it should be the latter. Because otherwise, as a wise person once said, those who cannot remember the past are doomed to
3: repeat
6: Just heard Trevor Noah from The Daily Show, and his subject was war over teaching America's racist history, accompanied by Pink Floyd "Brick in the Wall." So, what do you think, Max? It was a long clip, but he covered a lot within that clip.
7: Um, yeah, he definitely covered a lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I got a beef with him a little bit, and also uh, I want to counter one thing that he said uh, at the end. He, you know, he used that old saying that those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. Well, that's the easy mm-hmm. part, repeating it, because you'd be so ignorant, you don't even know you're repeating it. Uh, the right. painful part is those who do study history are doomed to report it, because we're here telling you this is the same thing that was doing in the 1800s to us. <laughs> Like right. the same tactics, the same people for the same reasons, and in 150 years, we'll have historians talking about. Well, it wasn't really about slavery back in 2021. It was more about states' rights, <laughs> you know. Right, really same argument all over again. Same damn argument. Wanna I, I rid want rid to get rid of big government. That. Right, right, and we're getting closer and closer to uh, you know. Open warfare at this point. There's all kinds of threats coming out from the right wing about what they're going to do, and as you can see, they're trying to prosecute a lot of the people in in, who are in leadership positions. Trump's whole organization is being indicted, right? (laughs) So, yeah, it's all history that we're reporting to you over and over again, and it's painful to watch out do it without realizing that you're being controlled by the same damn mechanisms. Um, shout out to my man Scotty Reed, uh, also. In uh, Gaston County, in the Gaston Gazette, uh, he published an article where he was out there doing, passing out literature about the 13th Amendment and talking about critical race theory. Uh, a little bit of it it says the event was used to teach attendance that the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution technically did not end slavery, but merely created a new form called prison slavery, and how laws were passed collectively known as the Black Holes in the South in order for the former Confederates. You know the ones who said, "I will not be reconstructed." <laughs> Stage two: reenslave former victims of plantation slavery and their descendants by way of convict leasing, a prison practice that continues to this day. Currently, there is a congressional resolution to remove the slavery loophole in the 13th Amendment, called the Abolition Amendment. Um, yeah, shout out to Scotty Reed for that, for sure, because that convict leasing, as he knows, is like. The missing link. You never hear anybody mention it. And it's what happened immediately after uh, chattel slavery was transformed into prison slavery.
6: Yeah, big shout out to Scotty. Scotty's for those who are unfamiliar with him, I think you should be by now. But Scotty Reed is the host of the Black Talk Radio Network and former co-host with Max on New Abolitionist Radio. So, yeah, big shout out to you, Scotty.
7: Right. Uh, We're streaming live on his network right now, as a matter of fact. Absolutely. There was one thing that they said in there, like, you're literally in a in a free newspaper admitting to crimes against humanity and not calling for accountability. She said, currently, there is a congressional, no, well, before that, uh, convict leasing practice that continues to this day. Convict leasing practice that continues to this day. That was allegedly abolished. So if you're using convict leasing, then it's been abolished already. It's already illegal. And you're saying right. it out loud but not asking for accountability. All right, listen, we got a caller in, uh, so let's go ahead and see who it is real quick.
6: Yeah, I, I, that may be Alonzo. I hope All it right. is. Uh,
7: 8373, you are live on Abolition Today with Max and Youssef.
13: Yeah, bro, this is uh Alonzo or whatnot. I not know. Every time I get an opportunity to
7: uh call in
13: or whatnot. First let me let everybody know where I'm from, uh or whatnot, uh, Alonzo at uh, Angola, uh State Penitentiary, uh Louisiana State Penitentiary Angola, which is a formal I hate saying the word formal because it still is a slave plantation as we know it, and which stands for the last slave plantation in the United States. And uh, it's very interesting for me to call today. day which we know is uh uh Happy Fourth Alive.
3: <laughs>
13: yeah, 'cause we know uh we know we know for the same thing that they uh they uh seeked an independence from British, that's the same thing they did to the Native Americans in the in the, the Africans. Uh and every other uh non whites uh that, that they have came in contact with to exploit them through capitalization. But uh I'm calling in the day specifically as it relates to the ten two which Louisiana still is under Jim Crow law. Think of that. Think of that. Think of you're living in the United States of America, the land of a free, and you still have a state, and you can Google this. Google Jim Crow law. And if Google is going to tell you Jim Crow law is unconstitutional, black law dictionary, that meaning the law's that judges have to go by. So it defines as unconstitutional. So why do we have the United States Supreme Court declare Louisiana non-unanimous jury scheme unconstitutional, but yet you still have uh, brothers in here still incarcerated? They're still living monuments to Jim Crow, living monuments. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that I appreciate the opportunity to be calling in today, and uh, we have another brother in Angola or not, he has some poetry that he's going to share with y'all, and uh, we let him in. We got time for that. It's not going to be that long. back.
7: Yeah, but I got I got to ask you a question before you pass the phone over. Okay, um, first of all, I want to reiterate what you just said. Brother is calling him right now from Angola Prison Plantation, which was a former slave plantation, and he has been uh, incarcerated under the Thirteenth Amendment, turning him into state property. Uh, what? Is the meaning of July Fourth for the currently enslaved? That is my question for you, Brother Alonzo.
13: Oh uh, man, what's the meaning? <laughs> yeah, the meaning, the meaning of it is just uh, is just a crime against humanity. That's that's the meaning. That's what celebrating Fourth of July is a form of uh, and I would say education. If you're educated and you know. What you're doing is a, it's a form of celebrating a massacre, a genocide.
7: Thank you, man. Uh, you heard it right there. All right, so you got a brother that's got some poetry for us? Yeah, we got some brother that got some
13: poetry for us. You want to do the
7: introduction? Hello, I mean, the the, the introduction. Oh, okay, he passed it. How you We're doing, Adam?
8: Welcome to hey, Abolition how y'all Today. What's going on? It's SP Live, man. I got something I want y'all to check out, you know. All right. Call it a dime petition. Here we stand in a Louisiana state prison. Cheap labor, a slave by means of an unjust conviction. Targeted by a system who see us as letting more than machines in a way to make business. In the overseer's position, I guess it's easy and quite vivid to pass unjust judgment while swearing on the book that promotes forgiveness. Seems like we're the only ones, forgiving and forgetting. In the never-ending cycle of exploitation, digging. A grave to satisfy your hatred image. To them, we're no longer human, we're money, chattel property, and let it be known, they want every penny. Their schemes superseded billions. And still, the hungry, still hungry not to get off track, but they're only a large percentage. Great Supreme Court saw the image. They labored it pure hatred and racism the way Louisiana uphold their outdated Napoleon laws, briefly known as the Jim Crow vision. That shit was more than the vision. Hell, to them it was the way to make better living the conditions of white supremacists. Wait, hold up for a minute. Overall, the nation lies in a cage convicted by laws that were made way back in the niggas are not human days. And without unity we forever phase, not every blow at every stage, until some no longer wishes sways, and say enough of and as long as you look like me, I'm your flesh and blood in many ways Can someone tell me how it's so hard to fix a problem that left millions mentally, physically, and emotionally scarred? And you got the nerve to say that we committed a charge? No, I call it process of elimination due to a scheme you created Controlling the floor of your science project neighborhood limiting options to drugs, guns, and games, Still leaving a small window open for one or two to make it Last I checked, those things reside in places that's outside the range of Negroes' destinations. Them traveling against progress daily and still manage to turn an eye, a blind eye to over 400 years of pure hatred, ranging from dehumanization to denationalization. Words that Webster won't define. Protecting the aces in a game where being wrong is accepted majorly by major payments and under the table handshakes and shit.
6: And now that you know, you heard from the Last
7: Living Monument, Mr. Jim
6: Crow. Thank you all. Wow. Oh, Ashe,
7: brother. Ashe. Peace, poet. Peace, 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 poet. Peace Hold on bless- a minute. Oh, yeah. I, 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 I got something peace I, I bless- want to play oh, here yeah. real quick for you.
3: Right. We're going to tear your kingdom down. <laughs>
7: Yeah, they that's right. gonna, they we're gonna they're gonna tear your kingdom down. Indeed. Yep. Uh the I believe in the power of spoken word as a spoken word artist myself, uh and that right. it teaches, it uplifts, it can change everything. You know what I mean? Right. Who knows who just heard you? Uh and uh our right. prayers go out to y'all brothers out there that are trying to make it every single day. Um, you know, right. especially under this ten two thing. Uh
1: for right. those who aren't
7: aware of it, it's Ramos versus Louisiana. Uh that they determine that being convicted for life sentences under 10 or 2 juries or 11 and 1 juries, which they used to create all white juries but looked like they didn't, uh, was unconstitutional. It was Jim relic, and it was specifically in order to incarcerate black people in Louisiana. Well that was overturned, but what didn't happen is none of that became retroactive. So over 1,500 people's lives have been thrown away now, saying that you have no hope of ever getting out after being railroaded into this, through this Jim Crow system. Um, so as yet they haven't been able to over- overturn it. And brothers like y'all out there right now are looking for hope. And, and so, one of
13: the things that we're doing, uh, Max, or whatnot, because, you know, I'm a solution-oriented brother or whatnot. So uh, one of the things that we're doing, one of the things that we're doing, we are actually petitioning the U.N. as well as the Civil Rights Division. And we're petitioning them, asking them to intervene, in which the Civil Rights Division represents all United States citizens. That's the purpose of the Justice Department. And uh, like you said, what not, uh, they have jurisdiction, uh, and they really got case law that they can reopen and they can uh, give us relief. And uh, the closest thing that's happening right now, we got uh, Jason Williams. Air DA in all these parishes, the third black DA and he's uh retroactivity to every last ten two that they have in all these parish. But the problem we have that uh when we say uh root areas and these uh uh claim uh areas, stronghold areas or whatnot, they're not giving relief to those brothers that's going through the courthouse. So, uh like I say, I'm personally uh fortunate but they still have other brothers that they're not giving the retroactivity uh, law uh, applied to. One of the reasons why is because the sheriff association, the district attorney association, all of these associations are blue claim that they're covered in, under the colorable law. And that's what 10 is based on the colorable law. And uh, just think of it, that you have a state that has a law specifically designed to discriminate against you.
6: You're yeah, absolutely right, brother, because the United States Supreme Court in its uh decision in the uh in the Ramos decision, they admitted it. They said the law was enacted to nullify juries, to nullify any African Americans on the jury. So we say 10-2, we say 11-1, but any majority, it could have been 7-5, to five, right. and they would have just taken right. the 7. Right.
13: Right. And, and what makes Louisiana even more uh, different, because Oregon was the only other state that was doing a similar play, But Louisiana right. was was doing, no other state was actually doing it. In Oregon, you have, like, if you're facing a natural license, thing, it took all 12 people to actually find you guilty uh right. Louisiana, it applies all across the board. And uh so and uh, like you say the same uh racial uh uh what well, I say the same Kuka claim uh doctrine was carried on in uh in Oregon that led to uh, the Kuka claim uh passing attention to jury scheme in all. So uh like I say it ain't up for debate anymore. Like you couldn't even get a Kuka claim to debate you the racial uh intent of the statute. And uh, like I say, one thing, uh, civil rights, that's what I more prefer, civil and human rights, first and foremost, human rights. And uh, and I think criminally or whatnot, uh, these remedies they do not have any remedies in place for these sorts of violations, because you yes, have to understand, this law been on a book since 1898, think of that. So that means you had a state law on the book, whether it was nine to three, Uh, 10 to 2. This law, this Jim Crow law, no different. This is the last stand of Jim Crow. We're living in Jim Crow. Like, we always hollering. We have changed. We're free. Like, what do we define as free as a nation? Like, what is our definition of free? And like you said, you have all type of brothers that get caught up in this. You have white brothers that get Latino brothers, poor brothers that get caught up in the same system. So this is something that just doesn't affect black people. This is something that's a threat to our democracy. And that's one of the reasons that it even got to the United States Supreme Court, because you had other district attorneys, states, legislators saying, damn, if Louisiana could do this, why the hell we can't do it? So you had other states that were putting uh, laws that's in place attempting right. to do the same thing. And that's when they, that's when the United States Supreme Court uh decided to actually take the case but had it been louisiana and Oregon, we may not even be having this conversation right now and uh that's the problem with the wheels of justice and uh so i think uh like about five six days ago the u.n just issued a report and uh is a landmark report and uh we have other nations and stuff are stepping in
3: or not when uh
13: Our president went to uh, the Geneva Convention a a few weeks ago. The media, mainstream media, may have portrayed that, that it was a Putin and Russia, United States thing about how we're Mm -hmm. chastising him. But they fail to realize on how the United States should be chastised and should be held accountable for discriminating against his own United States citizen as black.
7: Word. Uh, Brother, we got to get on to our next segment. Uh, I appreciate you calling in, as always. Um, and we got you back over here at Abolition Today. Uh, what was the brother's name we did the poetry so we can attribute it properly? Well, you, you
13: can call the brother.
7: Say it again? I think he said
6: S.P. was his name. S.P. Yes.
7: All right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, indeed, right, man. Yes. Thank you, brother, for that. Yes. And uh, I'll be talking to you throughout the week, I'm sure, right?
13: All right, and whatnot. We definitely will. I say just uh, before I go, we're not a hot time. If you have any free time and whatnot, uh, I would like to uh, talk to you to cover a few things. With me, uh, give, give me a call tomorrow.
6: Yeah. I'm I'm free all day tomorrow, brother. Give me a call.
13: All right, all right. I say we'll let you go in solidarity or whatnot. And, uh, solidarity. uh will let you are listening and whatnot. And we're moving. We might be moving slow, but we're moving, and I appreciate that.
7: Amen to that. Peace, Asim. All right, Salud, man. You know, um, as, as we said before, uh, this program is sponsored by inmate organizations. Uh, we're constantly in contact with brothers on the inside, give us firsthand reports, um, and even named by jailhouse lawyers. Speak our program abolition today. Uh, right. I'm really glad that the, when we do interact with these brothers, it's always in a position where we're helping. When we're doing something, they didn't have a chance to have their voice heard. Um, and that's wonderful. So as a matter of fact, uh, let me throw some more barbs out there to uh, this CRT uh, hysteria, having people out there who are nothing but their ancestors repeated. Uh, this is probably what you're saying right now.
4: If we'd known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own fucking cotton.
0: <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs>
7: exactly. You know, exactly. And the sad part, man, is they have people who look like us that fight for them. Um, there's, you know, we're talking about here we are today on the 4th of July. Do you know that July is White History Month? July is yeah, White Yeah, I just History found month. that
6: out the other day. Yeah, I just yes, found it out the yeah, other
7: day. Yep. And guess who created White History Month, celebrating the 4th annual White History Month, is Jesse Lee Peterson. Uh, the Reverend oh. Lee Peterson, a black man. Oh, no. Uh, as a matter of no. fact, let's go ahead and play this music clip, uh, take this music break, and you can hear uh, a discussion that he had on Undisputed. Uh, and it's going to be followed. Well, you know what? Just listen. You'll know who you hear when you hear it. We'll be right back. Exactly. You're listening to <laughs> Abolition Today with Max use and Yusuf Hassan. We'll be right back after this. Abolition.
0: Abolition. Abolition.
12: Sir, you all have a celebration coming up next month. Um, Are you not the founder of um, White History Month, I think which starts in July? Yeah, we're going to be celebrating our fourth year of White History Month Mm -hmm. in July, and the the reason that we started it in July is because if you notice, July just feels white. Yeah, you know, it's it's summertime, vacation time, relaxing Uh time, reflecting time and appreciating the yeah. greatest country on this side of heaven. Gotcha. And uh, so we are recognizing that and showing our appreciation for it. I think it's important for people to know, um, you're not a comedian. What in the policy of the George Floyd Policing Act do you disagree with? The whole idea, what Which really part of the policy, <laughs> Just: Blaming the cops and no responsibility Jesse, for I'm the asking you. What part of the policy, is written, you can find it at congress.gov. What part of the policy, sir, do you disagree with? This is a simple question. I, I disagree with the whole idea of a You policy. haven't read the policy, I, you haven't even read the damn policy. Come I on, don't Jeff. need to read it, I don't need to read you it to know the, to the read truth it. because. What I've noticed is that black people today, due to their lack of love, their lack of believing in God, they love evil more than they love good, right? So that's the reason and why so, you don't read. And, and so you, the fact, that's the reason why you don't read, right? Because we're written by no good black people. If I could give you
3: the world on a silver platter, would it even matter you'd still be mad at me? Finding all these A dozen roses Which I would give to you
7: Jill Scott man, you
6: know. that beautiful beautiful soul that we know by Jill Scott
7: for real for real man And you know I, I got a little bit of a rant I want to get into and I also want to open the phone lines but before I do any of that there was something I want to add to what brother Alonzo was saying A few days ago mm-hmm. he told me about how um, the prisoners in Louisiana are being sent to the jails right and then I found out right. some more news That the jails, these parish jails in Louisiana, in what has been known as the prison capital on earth, (laughs) right, have had 45 deaths in a decade, twice the national average. And they're trying to figure out how the hell is that possible, Uh, saying years before COVID-19 ravaged correctional facilities across the United States, the East Baton Rouge Parish prison experienced its own prolonged wave of death. From 2009, died in the jail's custody, which is double the national average. Most of the deceased have been arrest, had been arrested for nonviolent crimes and had not had their day in court. Wow, man, 45 five people dead, and they had been arrested for nonviolent crimes. It says that EP or EBRPP is a dilapidated, overcrowded facility that was built in 1965. Detainees there have spoken of bed bugs, spider bites, rats in the stew. Uh, residents of the parish rejected a tax to build a new jail, and Louisiana's Governor Bobby Jindal rejected Medicaid expansion, which shuttered the public hospital and privatized health care at the jail. Throw in an under, underfunded public defender's office that often has to wait years for cases to go to trial, a Baton Rouge Metro Council that won't allow. The recommended funding in the city's budget for humane treatment and policies that don't protect the lives of incarcerated people. Taking together these realities provide a clear picture of the criminalization of poverty in America, which can be a death sentence that disproportionately affects black and brown people. Now, that's the only part of it I want to read, but I want to add this much to it. 47% of Louisiana's prisons are in parish jails. How the hell is that even possible, man? Right. Like,
6: what? That's the first question. How is that even possible?
7: Right, exactly. Forty-seven. Because county
6: jails don't even come under the Department of Corrections, the State don't Department even, of Corrections.
7: Yeah, don't even come under the Department of Corrections. So, you know, we see all these facts occurring and unfolding that smell just like chattel slavery back in the 1800s, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's upsetting as hell. But I've learned that... <laughs> And this kind of blew my mind, Yusuf. I don't know if I told you about it or not. I think I did, yeah, Uh, because you're listening to one of the tracks. But, you know, I'm digging through the crates looking for music, and I realized there's a whole genre of rap music set up Mm -hmm. for black conservatives and their white allies. I didn't even know it, man. Let me tell you, some of the music is fire. Like, the lyrics is fire, right. the beat of fire. It's like about six or seven people who are really prominent, and they get millions and millions of views on their music, but they use every trope and stereotype in the book black-on-black black crime, don't do the crime if you can't do the time, uh, everybody's on welfare, everybody's a drug dealer out selling drugs. I mean, everything that comes out of their mouth would come straight out of a Klansman's mouth. You know, and they are completely convinced that this is true, and millions of people are listening to uh, their music, and that's where Jesse Lee Peterson falls in, because there's a whole right. new genre of these people out there uh, that are led by black people. Like the theme right. song for the January sixth uh, invasion, <laughs> the, the insurrection, was a song by two black men and they got banned from the billboards after January 6th. Like, what? And they're <laughs> singing the white man's song. Millions of white people love them. Oh, this is great. I love it. You guys speak so real. And so, because they're saying everything you would have said. <laughs> exactly. You, know? you believe these tropes, and like, like the one about don't do the crime if you can't do the time." Come on, people. When you say that, do you know what you're really saying? You're saying America would never enslave anybody never had never would they would never wrongfully incarcerate somebody they would never wrongfully arrest somebody they would never use their jails and prisons for political prisoners or as weapons against the community they would never do any of this that's what you're saying you say don't do the crime and you won't do the time like people are just getting exactly knocked off say. the streets <laughs> and, and you're declaring their innocence when you say dumb shit like that um and black on black crime I mean, come on. If it's a black community, who you think is going to be victims of the crime? Who are the victims of a crime in a white community, <laughs> in a Hispanic community, in, in a Chinese right. community, right? Do you talk about Chinese on Chinese crime? Do you talk about white on white crime? And these singers act so butthurt, bro, especially the white guys who are rapping. And, and mind you, as I said, this is some hotness. You know what I mean? It's good lyrics, right. good music. You could really stomp to this thing. No, uh, I, I listen to hurt. the one
6: song and the guy singing on the song. I mean, these guys had great voices and everything. Yeah. And like, I this think was not, fed. like, some cheesy stuff. This was professionally
7: done. Professionally done, yeah. And, and, and I think the feds, or at least financed by the feds, I wouldn't be surprised if this was some kind of special uh, police ops that they were doing by, you know, embedding into the music industry and rap music in particular in order to uh, create this uh, – this disunion we're uh, using these tropes and fallacies and, and all of these, uh, stereotypes. Uh, but that's right. hurt, man. This one dude was talking about, you know, now mind you, he's got millions of views, right? And he's a white dude. Mm-hmm. He said, what if I got killed by the cops? Who would march for me? Who would riot for me? Ask the millions of people who's fucking right there listening to you. Ask them. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? It's crazy, man. <laughs> it's just, they, they just, they, how can somebody Be jealous of oppression How is that even possible Because you're getting Because the attention is being put on people who are oppressed Under genocide and slavery And you're hurt about that I, I, I don't understand it yeah. So yeah man You can see where I'm at I see we got a hand up kind of Listen <laughs>
6: Uh, I'm, I'm just gonna sit and let you vet, man. You need
7: to get this out. <laughs> yeah, I, I needed to. I needed to. It's a shame on a waste of skills. But let's go ahead and bring in eight one two five. You are on. Would you sit with Max here on Abolition Today?
14: Eight one two five. Happy. Yeah. Can you hear me?
7: Yeah.
14: Yes. yes. Uh, state your name. Question okay. or comment? Yeah, my name is Joe. Happy Independence Day to you guys. I came across your, uh, your description page, and I thought maybe you're going to be talking about the, prophets, uh, the prisoner for profits and how they induce and actually motivate the judicial system in order to mm, convict people who um, shouldn't be convicted. So is that um, the thrust of your show?
7: Yes, that's a big part of it. Um, you know, we're talking about the 13th Amendment primarily, which allows for this to happen, where you can be bought and sold on the open market in the form of prison stocks and jail bonds. So these for-profit prisons certainly are a player. And we even reported recently that because of the uh, the amount of divestment campaigns that we've been involved in and have support through uh, students and other organizations, we've seen about $15 billion dollars, Be taken away from for-profit private prisons in the past five years and right now the geo group is at a 48 percent chance of going bankrupt and you know they were one of the largest for-profit private corporations on earth and now they have a half a chance of going bankrupt uh because of the loss nobody will even do business with them here in the united states anymore the major banks turn their backs on all of these for-profit private prisons uh so yeah they do play a, a role and we definitely uh pull that information into the conversation. But overall, we are charging crimes against humanity that is allowed by the 13th Amendment and it's practiced, in fact, through our justice system, through systems like the for-profit, private prison industry. Okay. Now I've also Joe, read facts
14: uh, that, oh, um, I'm sorry. Yeah.
6: No, sir, you have the floor.
14: Oh, okay. Um, I've also read the facts that uh, more blacks get convicted than whites as a result of um of prejudice um, I have a question which occurred to me as I was reading a page, supposing a hundred black people were tried for burglary, what percentage do you think i mean, out of the hundred all of them got convicted mm-hmm. uh what percentage do you what percentage do you think would be unjustifiably convicted?
7: Well, in my in my world, probably 100% of them, but I know that based on studies that have been done over the years, they say that about 17% of juries are incorrect in their verdict. So at least one in five uh, would be uh, wrongfully incarcerated. It would be innocent. Okay. Right. At least one in five, just yeah, based I mean, on that I
14: mean, study. Okay. And I yeah, forget that was- the name of the project. I think I it was the Innocence Project that um, uh, managed to get something like 40, is it 42? I guess um, you guys would know the stats better than I would. Um, a number of people off of death row who definitely were innocent as proven by DNA. So I wanted to get down to some of the bottom line. So you're saying that if 100 people, 100 blacks who Set up in front of the judge on the charge of, let's say, burglary, that if they all went to prison, one out of five of them would be innocent and wouldn't deserve to be in jail, which would at mean least. that at least. So that would mean that uh, 20 of them had to have been framed. Is that right?
6: Well, I don't well, know. If it's not even just, so much about them yeah. being framed. Right. You know, we tie in everything. We tie in the overworked uh, public defender's office. You know, we tie in. So I just want to clarify your question at first. So you're talking okay. about those who went to trial or are you talking about those who just took a plea bargain? Because it's, it's really two different answers based on which angle do you want to approach.
0: Yeah, we know that
6: 95 to 97 percent of cases don't go to trial and they result in plea bargains as a result of poor representation, uh, jury nullifications. uh, That 17% that Max just mentioned about juries just being incorrect. We know that there's prosecutorial uh, misconduct. We know that there's police corruption. I mean, there's so much that goes into it. So, and with only being 100, that's a very small sample. I would think that if you're only dealing with 100, I would say that probably about, 90 of them are going to be innocent of the (laughs) charges.
7: I said it'd probably be all of them, you know?
6: (laughs) Yeah, because it's it's other factors that that play in. So I'll give you an example. There's a person that I know who's uh, from Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh, He's had several burglary convictions since you chose burglary as the topic. He's had several burglary convictions in his past. 20, 30 years ago, the guy is clean. But do you know that they still use him as the usual suspect for burglaries now? And the guy has been clean for years. you know. So it's a right. stigma that's always going to be on him that they still go check on him. He has to prove where he was at the time that the burglary has occurred. And he's been arrested a few times based on that just because he wasn't able to mm-hmm. prove where he was at the time. Where so, he was. Yeah. so there are people that are going to be arrested like that where we're not talking about they got caught with the merchandise. We're not talking about they got caught with burglary tools. or at the scene. There's nothing linking them to the crime. So that's why I think if we're only dealing with a sample size of a hundred, it's going to be much higher, probably 90 to 95 of them who may even be innocent.
1: Mm
14: -hmm. All right. Okay. Well, I think you're taking into consideration plea deals. I wasn't even thinking of that. I'm talking about, um, guys. Women, uh guys mainly, who Mm -hmm. are in front of the judge did not take any plea and um you know, said I am uh I'm pleading not guilty, Your Honor, and then go through the trial.
6: And to be honest with you, burglary Um, burglary trials usually don't happen. Even for the state. The state doesn't they don't want it because it's it's a waste of resources. You know, when it comes to when it comes to burglary charges. So that's why you have many uh, public defenders and many private attorneys who don't even want to go to trial for it. You know, that's why there's always the push to take the plea bargain of some type of probation or, you know, if they're if they're incarcerated, You know, pre-trial, they're pre-trial detainee. A lot of times, by the time their case even gets to trial, they're being offered time served. Now that changes things because you've been in jail for eight months. You know, now they're offering you: you can go home today, or you can go to trial facing five to ten years. Most people are going to say, "I just rather go home." They don't want to roll the dice and have to waste five to ten years of their life. So there's so many factors that play into that. That it's kind of difficult to give just a straightforward answer on that. It's just too many factors, uh, okay. and that's that tangled web that they weave. Uh, yeah. If, you, well, if are there,
14: you, are there any articles? Of,
13: are there you any You know, I was gonna, books? I was um, sure oh, I was definitely. gonna mention
6: that. I was gonna mention. That it sounds like you're a new listener, and thank you, and thank you to whomever turned you on to us or directed you to listening to us. We've been on the air since March of 2015. We're on all major podcast platforms like Spotify and uh, Apple Podcasts and everything. You can go back. We've basically given a master class on this. We've covered every topic uh, when it talks about those who exploit the prison labor, the companies that are involved, how the courts work, how the prosecutor's office work. You know, so it's so many. But I would definitely refer to you, refer you back to the early episodes because that's where we were laying the foundation and we mentioned a lot of articles and books there's so many things that trace this history where it all goes back to the 13th amendment the exception clause so you know that's what i have to say on that max
7: all right uh brother joe you were uh there was more you sounded like you wanted to say uh
14: no, I just want to know which articles and web uh, web pages and books that I can read, because I don't think most people are aware of the kind of implications um, and circumstances that go into a trial or into a
7: plea bargain. So, I would like to know for myself. Awesome. Um, we'll try to put something on our page. Um, if you're listening, make sure you follow us on Facebook at Abolition Today. Everything we talked about today, you'll see on that page, Um, and we'll get that information for you and put it up on our website, all right? Uh, Do you have a website? Um, Yes. As I said, you can go to our social media page, Abolition Today, on Facebook, and uh, for now, that's what we're using. Our website is in development.
14: Oh, all right. So you don't have a, it, an independent website because I don't. I don't go on my social media. <laughs>
6: okay. Oh, okay, it's still being well, it's still uh, being built at the moment.
7: You can also listen okay. to this on any of the major podcast platforms. So whatever, like if you listen to Apple or you listen to Spotify or anything like that, we're on all of those. So you can find us there too. So wherever you get your music from, you can find abolition today.
6: Okay. And, and Joe, are you into watching documentaries?
14: Yeah, I do. I like documentaries.
6: Okay, uh, so there are three documentaries that we normally refer people to that are really like a good foundation. So we would say
3: mm-hmm.
6: uh, "Slavery by Another Name." Okay. There's the Thirteenth. It's just called Thirteenth. The number one three T H is called Thirteenth, and then do not resist. Okay. That's a good place to All start. Right.
14: All so right, good. yeah, do Hope it in that order too. The, uh, West All right. Actually, so brother, you should be the one working um. on it. <laughs> 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 okay. All right, well, take care, guys. I'm going
7: to slow now. All right, thank now. you very much for calling. <laughs> no, thank you for your call.
6: We we we're we're on every Sunday at seven p.m. Eastern. So. The same way that you called in and listened, you can catch us every week. And like I said, if you ever miss a show or you want to go back and hear the podcast, we're on all major, net, all major platforms.
14: All right. Okay. all right. Thanks much. Take care now. All right. Thank, Thank you. you.
7: Bye-bye. All right. If you do have a question or comment, press one on your keypad. Uh, we've still got a couple more segments to get to and a few things we want to play, but I don't know if we're going to be able to play them all at this point. We always have more than we can share, so that's no big deal. But there's one I wanted to get to. Um, And, Mm -hmm. of course, you know, again, 4th of July today. And also we've had this thing where uh, we're showing you what the 4th of July means to the currently enslaved, to people right now who are considered property by the state. Um, And I also talked earlier about the two founding dates of America, 1865, with the introduction of the first of the Reconstruction Amendments, and then 1776. I also explained how they immediately put exception clauses to that, too. But we're going to get deeper into that. Uh, We're going to play something we played before, but it's worth hearing. Badges and Incidents of Slavery by Professor William Carter, Jr. He's a professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh. So let's take about seven minutes and listen to this brother, what he has to say. You're listening to Abolition Today. We'll be right back. Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
11: In terms of what I plan to focus on, I'm going to to talk about two of my articles um, that I guess kind of span a spectrum of my writing about race and the law. So the first one is called a 13th Amendment Framework for Combating Racial Profiling, And that one, I think, was published maybe in 2004, 2005. It was one of my first big articles. And that one um, looks at the issue of racial profiling through the lens of the 13th Amendment and through a lesser-known aspect of the 13th Amendment, that it prohibited not only literal slavery, but also what its framers call the badges and incidents of slavery. Those modern-day conditions that are a legacy of uh, slavery or that uh, were an outgrowth of it. And so in that article, I argue that a wide-scale system of uh, criminal suspicion based upon skin color is a badger incident of slavery because it mirrors, even if not driven by the same purpose, the kind of racialized control over autonomy and freedom of movement that black slaves, as well as all free blacks, were subject to during slavery. So I'll talk a little bit about that one piece, and I know that David and Jalila will have a lot to contribute there because of their own work about race and the criminal law. The other piece is much more recent. In fact, it's still a draft. Um, It's been accepted by the Texas Law Review, but hasn't been published yet. It'll come out next year. And it's about uh, freedom of speech and slavery. So the, the idea of that one, again, kind of drawing on the legal history of slavery, is that, in my view, as well as in this view of many other scholars, we have two distinct constitutional regimes. There's the framing to Civil War regime, right, the 1787 to 1865 Constitution, which I'll call the original founding. And then there's what's referred to as the second founding, the post-Civil War constitutional amendments, as well as federal civil rights statutes, that the people at the time who adopted them, Thought of as representing a second American Revolution, a second founding of the nation in turning away from a society based on racial slavery to one who, at least in its fundamental charter, would be based upon freedom and equality for all persons, not merely a subset. In constitutional doctrine, as you'll recall, the cases, and indeed, I would say, probably most professors spend very little time talking about the second founding as a new constitutional moment. We talk a lot about specific provisions from the pre-Civil War Constitution, right? So you spend a ton of time on equal protection, due process, privileges and immunities, etc. But in general when we talk about the pre-Civil War Constitution, we tend to act as if the second founding moment never happened. For purposes of this paper, I contend that courts tend to act as if what freedom of speech meant in 1791 when the Bill of Rights was ratified is exactly the same thing from an original meaning perspective as what it should mean today. And my point is actually not so much to kind of claim or disclaim originalism, it is simply if you're going to analyze the Constitution from an originalist perspective, there is another originalist moment. Where the original framers' view was modified, elaborated upon, and in some cases rejected by the second framing, and so the article, in one sense, is kind of a theoretical plea that we take the post Civil War Constitution seriously as a second founding moment. The second more specific part is if you accept that frame, which certainly not everyone would, what might it mean for how we interpret some specific constitutional provisions? And one of those is the First Amendment. So the, I think, kind of um, most novel contribution that the article makes is that it looks at freedom of speech, not just through the lens of the first founding framers, nor exclusively through the lens of the second founding framers, but to actually foreground the views of enslaved persons themselves and ask what did freedom of speech mean to them in a condition of slavery? What denial of their free speech rights did they experience? What would they have hoped or expected the post Civil War vision of freedom of speech to entail? And I argue that as part of the constitutional policies that would help uh, us understand the general public meaning of freedom of speech under the post-civil war constitution, that the voices of enslaved persons have been almost entirely ignored in constitutional interpretation. So I draw from a lot of first-person slave narratives where the slaves talk about um, their experiences with being denied freedom of speech and talk about what they think it should mean uh, under the Reconstructive Constitution. Um, so I'll be talking about those in the talk, and you know, hopefully folks will find it interesting. Um, but I think what all of my 13th Amendment works, including this most recent piece, are trying to do is to show there is a different constitutional legal history that has largely remained untold, Right that particularly the um, post civil war constitution was one that was about equal dignity and equal worth and about freedom and liberty in many aspects. Some of them were liberty of body and movement, which is some of the racial profiling piece. Some of them are liberty of mind and conscience, right, which is the um, First Amendment piece. But the animating impulse is the same, um, that, you know, there's a, a long debate about whether our constitution was originally pro-slavery or anti-slavery and my point I guess the intervention I make in my work is that in seeking to answer that question we have to look at our constitution as a whole and too often our courts and lawyers act as if the post-civil war constitution didn't really happen.
0: Abolition. 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 Abolition.
7: That was Badges and Incidents of Slavery by Professor William Carter Jr., professor of law at the University of Pittsburgh. And, you know, there were some things he said in there that stuck out to me, like, we know that the voices of the enslaved are always ignored. Um, you know, if you look at the news right now today, they'll be talking about poor people with millionaires in the conversation. <laughs> you know? like right. you'll, you'll see the millionaires talking about poverty, and you'll see the free talking about being enslaved, and The voices are not really heard. But here, this is a different place. The voices are certainly heard. Also, he was talking about the untold history. Uh, And this is so true. Uh, Professor uh, Khalil Mohammed said, I remember on on, um, CNN International, where he was talking about how the 13th Amendment is probably the most uh, misunderstood and understudied aspect of the. Uh, reconstruction period That exception clause Never been under Anybody's radar To any large degree So they haven't Really thought about What the effects Of it would be And that's kind of crazy To think that mm-hmm. Professors and lawyers Aren't considering What a loophole Could do <laughs> Like really you, you, For sure Right You know
6: or as, or as Hillary Clinton Would call it The unintended consequences
7: The unintended <laughs> consequences Right And, and, and I, I like how He was explaining um, how these constitutional amendments were for, you know, the liberties of uh, mind and body uh, one way or another. Uh, but when it comes to this 13th Amendment, all of that goes out the window because it negates all three of the uh, Reconstruction Amendments by its very existence. absolutely the, the 14th Amendment with citizenship, uh, you know, it doesn't apply to you because now you've been freshly turned into property. Uh, and the same right. thing with the 15th Amendment, uh, even to the point where, as you can see right now, they're trying to stop people from voting, particularly black people. But right now, there's anywhere from six to ten million people who can't vote, and most of them are black people or brown people who can't vote because of felony convictions or other different reasons. Uh, so it is tactics they've used over and over and over and over again. You should,
6: said- you know, in listening to him, I I keep thinking about a poem you wrote, which you know I was given the honor of naming the poem. <laughs> <laughs> and I always think, of you have to excuse me, I like, you know, live in Central America, so you're going to hear all these fireworks and everything going off because to them, the 4th of July means something completely different than what we hear, what uh, you and I are talking about. So I want to I take a little snippet from that poem, Max. All right. What do you think of that? And I want to read it the way... Max Parthas recites it. I'm going to take a right. stab at this. Right. you know, And I know Sean Darling is listening in, and he's going to tell me later on if I nailed it or not. All right. So this is a, a snippet from a poem entitled, Slavery is Abolished, dot, dot, dot. Slavery never ended. Not a solitary day has passed, where it but for a single second suddenly ceased. It wasn't solved, it evolved from slaves on plantations to involved caged convicts being leased, or warehousing bodies for profit like living slabs of meat, like the deceased beast you eat at a rich man's feast, deliberate deceivers, talking about freedom and peace in a nation where nobody has either. How'd I do, man? (laughs)
7: Um, sounds good to me, man. I feel honored that uh, you want to read
6: that out loud, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, man. And that summarizes everything we just heard. Uh, Professor William Carter Jr. mentioned badges and incidents of slavery, and which is so happens to be the theme that we've been using for this entire season, is badges and incidents of slavery. And it's a play on what the courts have called it, When they had their early cases, 1888, 1891, the slaughterhouse cases, the civil rights cases from those times, and they were referring to it as badges and incidents of slavery, talking about African chattel slavery, as they called it in one of their earlier cases. It ties all the way back then. They've been talking about this, so they knew what was going on all along. Badges and incidents, the things that you see, and the things that occur.
7: Exactly, bro. Exactly. I'm here. Uh, yep, I got my mic on. All right. Well, h- okay. here we have a dilemma, bro. Uh, we're supposed to have that one more clip to play this evening, but I don't think we have the time for it. So yeah, kill- yeah,
6: we don't have time for
7: probably. that. I-, I can tell the story in two minutes. What it took her to tend ten to do, uh, I just won't right. be able to tell it. So, well, no puppies
6: were harmed in recording this broadcast.
7: (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) uh, (laughs) Let me just tell people what it was we wanted to play, and we'll share the information, of course, on our website, uh, social media page. Sure. Apparently, um, first of all, it's Rachel Maddow, right? And the story was the obituary for a particular person who just died recently, an important person, right? So, it starts out by her talking about the plantation and the house where Frederick Douglass was sent to by his alleged master as a slave breaker. So he was sent there to be broken because remember, you know, 19 weeks we played the story, uh, uh, spoken by Ossie Davis, of course, mm-hmm. Frederick Douglass narrative in the life of uh, American slave. Uh, so this, the owner, his owner sent him to this dude, I think it was called Kobe. Uh, to break him, and it was a couple of the worst years of his life, as described in the book. So this house and this plantation was used to break many other enslaved people, not just Frederick Douglass, but Frederick Douglass was more one of the prominent ones who was there. It still exists to this day, and the government wanted to purchase um, this building, or well, not the government, but uh, organizations working uh, with heritage foundations, want to purchase the building and the property and turn it into a place where people could go and reflect on uh, what it is we did here in America to African-Americans, right? But the problem was it was owned by a, a person uh, who lived there. It was their primary house, and this slave-breaking house was called Mount Misery. <laughs> Mount freaking Misery, right? So the person... Yeah who owned it knew what the house had been used for. And that was one of the reasons right. why they purchased it. And they lived there. So like every time they come home from work to relax, they want to go to Mount Misery, where Frederick Douglass was brutalized and slaves were broken. Uh so apparently they felt comfortable there with their wife and raising their family. You know who that person was? Donald Rumsfeld, who just died at eighty eight. So that was his the beginning of his obituary. Donald Rumsfeld Knew all along the house he lived in was a place where they broke slaves. Mm. Secretary of Defense, <laughs> remember him?
8: Right. Wow.
7: So that's pretty deep and nasty. Um, so, there we got that story out of the way. Uh, yeah, I we, uh, like it.
6: I just wanna, I just wanted to read two headlines of two articles that were non-mainstream. Right? One is the Daily Beast. Their headline, Donald Rumsfeld, killer of 400,000 people, dies peacefully. Do not mourn the defense secretary, mourn his victims. They were nearly too many to tally, but his Pentagon refused to count anyway. And then the other one comes from MockingbirdPaper.com. It says, Donald Rumsfeld, Rumsfeld, frail human body finally choked the death on fountain of lies spewing from its war criminal mouth. And I just love those titles right there. <laughs> so I just wanted Man, to inject that in there.
7: When you think about the type of person it would take to actually live in a house like that. Uh right. it's like it, it reminds you of the days when they would burn us and take collectible parts of us. Uh skin, pieces of fingers, genitalia mm-hmm. uh and, and give them each other as freaking gifts. Like So that's the type of evil we're dealing with here with Donald Rumsfeld living in this very house. So I thought I'd get right. that out there. Another piece of news I wanted to get out uh, was what happened to this 86-year-old woman, right? Mm. <laughs> uh, Gwen Levy was granted an early release from prison last year during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic after serving 16 years for a 24-year sentence for conspiracy to sell at least one kilogram of heroin. However... Less than three months after she was released, she's heading back to prison, and she's already there so you know since this was published, she has actually went back to prison. Her offense not answering her phone during class uh she was reincar- reincarcerated incarcerated, and has been in jail since June twelfth as she awaits a transfer to federal prison Man, come a seventy six year old woman who's already done sixteen years conspiracy to right. sell heroin and, and and you want to put her back in prison because she didn't get a chance to answer the phone while in a class she was taking classes and living with a 94 year old mother Yo, that's right. just beyond torture now that, 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 you're just killing yeah, people for nothing
6: and on top of that so she was sent home as a result of the uh, because of COVID And they sent many people home to home confinement. And so she's on the, she's on the bracelet, you know, home monitoring and everything. She had to schedule through her parole and maybe a counselor that she's attending these classes. So it's not like she just, they didn't know that she has these classes. They know what time she leaves the house, what time she comes home. So at the time the person called her, they knew she was going to be in class. They knew she wouldn't be able to answer the phone because just like in most classrooms, you can't answer your phone in class. So this was deliberate. Someone deliberately called her because we know that many parole officers and probation officers do stuff like this. They deliberately do things to get these technical violations to send people back to prison
7: right it's a huge reason why the prisons are so full the technical uh violations of probation and parole uh and they use that as weapons against people you know um it right. it, it is also something that I want to add uh, you know a contrast a year ago uh during the covid uh you know the covid virus when it was at its peak they let the judge from mm-hmm. the kids for cash scandal go free this was it was two judges right. just was selling children to a for-profit private prison like joe talked about and making millions of dollars in kickbacks they were uh convicting them with no lawyers no parents in the room uh over the most ridiculous of things like throwing a stake at uh their father or uh, writing Mm on the desk in school uh so they were convicting these children and putting them in this for-profit prison they ended up getting convicted and pled guilty and got one of them got 28 years. I think 28 years. Got, mm-hmm. Right. Another one got uh, 17 years or something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, they let him something go. Like that. <clears throat> right. Michael Conahan, he's 68 years old, was sent home from that low-security federal correctional institution in Miami uh, during the COVID. He's not back in prison, and this dude sold 5,000 children. 5,000 children. But this 76-year-old woman who had a conspiracy – to sell less than a freaking handful of heroin has got to go back and die. Death in prison. Um, yeah. All right, and man, thankfully um, I know a
6: lot of the organizations in the Baltimore area and the Maryland area that are organizing, trying to you know, help her get her freedom. That's all I wanted to add to that, Max.
7: No, no, no. Definitely uh, let people know. Let, let them know. Uh... We've been doing some hella organizing these past few weeks in the Abolish Slavery National Network, and you know, uh, since the the slavers are going nuts out there and getting their forces together and talking civil wars, we just sometimes like to rub it in their face. Guess what? Oregon's on the ballot to be vote to vote slavery out of their constitution for twenty twenty two. We found that out just you know last week. Tennessee mm-hmm. on the ballot <laughs> to right. voted out. I, Tennessee, y'all, yo. <laughs> you know and. Uh, Alabama, that's right. Alabama is about to end slavery, so if you're gonna get pissed off at us, keep on getting pissed off because we're gonna keep doing stuff like that. We're gonna
14: weaken doing what we're
7: your doing. kingdom, Satan. We are gonna tear your kingdom down, uh, especially with these federal amendments. We've got about ten minutes left. Our final uh, segment, I believe, is about seven. So let's go ahead and it's get into seven. our yeah. Let's get into our sponsors and and, and thank. You. Uh, our listeners and uh, remind people next week right here on abolition today will be the queen mother of Benin. uh those this desir will be here with us she's also our un representative uh for the Abolish slavery national network uh you've probably seen her or heard her at at least one of our quarterly uh uh, gatherings for the asnn she'll be our guest next week so if you want to say hi to an african queen a real one <laughs> or want to hear what she's got to say come on through next week on july 11th all right you see-
6: that's it i'm going to read through this really quickly because we say 852 so we yeah. just want to thank jailhouse lawyers speak i am we ubuntu prison access network Sema urge quaker's uplifting racial justice the paul coffee abolitionist center Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash for All the news, information, music you hear on this program. We're also available on all major podcast platforms and we're simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us and also in the exception.com. We'll be back next week, inshallah, God willing. We're going to go into the Bridging the Gap What to the slave is the 4th of July. We have the descendants of Frederick Douglass reading the speech. Well, Max, actually, is anyone else on there besides the descendants?
7: Uh, It's all of his great, great, great grandchildren, and all of them are 20 years old and under.
6: So we're going to enjoy this. Max, great job tonight. Love you, brother. Be safe. Until next week, think about abolition today. Peace and blessings be upon you all.
7: Peace.
0: Abolition. Every day.
15: Every day. Do I look there or yeah, look there?
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. My
15: name is Alexa Ann Watson, and I am the great great-great-granddaughter of Frederick Douglass. Frederick
16: Douglass Douglas is my great great great
10: great the great 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 granddaughter of Frederick Douglass. I am the great-great-great-great-grandchild. I've been counting on my fingers yeah. since I was like five. Whenever you're
3: ready,
10: here we go. This is
15: the 4th of July. It is the birthday of your national independence and of your political
10: freedom. Fellow citizens, I shall not presume to dwell at length on the associations that cluster about this day. The simple story of it is that 76 years ago, the people of this country were British subjects.
16: Oppression makes a wise man mad. Your fathers were wise men, and if they did not go mad, they became restive under this treatment.
10: With brave men, there's always a remedy for oppression. They succeeded, and today you reap the fruits of their success. The freedom gained is yours and you, therefore, may properly celebrate this anniversary. Fellow citizens, pardon me. Allow me to ask why am I
15: called upon to speak here today? What have I or those I represent to do with your national independence?
16: Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that Declaration of Independence extended to us?
15: I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary.
10: Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common.
15: The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me.
16: The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me.
10: This Fourth of July is yours, not mine you may rejoice i must mourn fellow citizens above your national tumultuous joy i hear the mournful wail of millions at a time like this scorching irony not convincing argument is needed oh had i the ability and could reach the nation's ear i would today pour out a Fiery stream of biting ridicule, blasting reproach, withering sarcasm, and stern rebuke. For it is not light that is needed, but fire.
15: It is not the gentle shower, but thunder.
10: We need the storm, the whirlwind, and the earthquake. The feeling of the nation must be quickened. The conscience of the nation must be roused.
16: The propriety of the nation must be startled.
10: The hypocrisy of the nation must be exposed and its crimes against God and man must be proclaimed and denounced. What to the American slave is your Fourth of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him more than all other days in the year the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant victim. To him, your celebration is a sham.
16: Your boasted liberty and unholy license
10: your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your
15: sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless.
16: Your denunciations of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence.
10: Your shouts of liberty and equality, hollow mockery. Your prayers and hymns, your sermons and thanksgivings.
16: With all your religious parade and solemnity are to him
10: mere bombast,
16: fraud, deception,
10: impiety, and hypocrisy. There is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these United States at this very hour. Allow me to say in conclusion, notwithstanding the dark picture I have this day presented of the state of the nation, I do not despair of this country.
16: Um, this speech was written almost 170 years ago, but there—I mean, this part of it is still extremely relevant, especially with today's protests.
15: I think that when people are oppressed, they feel silenced. And if someone feels silenced, they get angry. There are certain tactics that you need to use to get people to really hear your voice. And
10: it's not always going to be just like a very calm discussion. I think he's mostly talking to the people who are already on his side, but believe that um, they can still try to talk this out, or that things are still justifiable. I know a lot of people at the time were saying, and people now are still saying that it's not as bad as it could be.
15: While the 4th of July probably does not feel the same to me as it does to others, I wouldn't say that it has no meaning, because it is the time when America as a country became free from another country. Um, but I would say that it's not the time in which I gained my freedom.
16: He had a lot of hope, especially for his age. And like, I'm getting to the point in my life where I'm only 20 years old, but I'm, I'm exhausted. Like I'm, I have these thoughts like, will we ever really get to this point? Or is this really something that we should actually spend our time fighting for?
10: Somebody once said that pessimism is a tool of white oppression, and I think that's true. I think in many ways we are still um, slaves to the notion that it will never get better. But I think that there is hope, um, and I think it's important that we celebrate black joy and black life, and we remember that change is possible, change is probable, um, and that there's hope
0: abolition abolition abolition, abolition. abolition. abolition.